please nigerians one bohari that is going beyond his boundary that the lord said his tenor is once not twice if not he will not see the election no tell him if you know him and you know how to email the presidency of nigeria please write him a test if he made a mistake to campaign for election before they vote he will die and i'm saying the truth and i'm saying the truth i'm saying the truth In season one of this podcast, I started a cognitive bias series. The goal of the series is not to provide you with a how-to guide, but to highlight some errors in judgment that impact our lives daily. I'm not a social scientist, and I'm definitely not an authority of behavioral sciences. I'm simply looking to share some of what I've learned from reading on the topic to my podcast audience. My wish is that after listening to my series and maybe even finding time to read Rolf DeBelli's book, The Art of Thinking Clearly, you'll learn to recognize and try as much as possible to evade the biggest errors in thinking that may lead to less irrationality and hopefully more prosperity. Before we begin, we need to first of all acknowledge that it is almost impossible to rid ourselves of cognitive errors completely. We must also recognize that not all cognitive errors are bad. Some cognitive errors are even necessary for one to enjoy life. However, a lot of self-induced unhappiness is a direct result of cognitive errors and learning to reduce them in our lives is worth the effort. For those who are joining us for the first time, a cognitive bias is a mistake in reasoning that often occurs as a result of holding on to one's preferences and beliefs regardless of contrary information. Psychologists and other behavioral scientists study cognitive biases as they relate to memory, reasoning, and decision-making. Welcome to Nigerian American. My name is LD. This is my podcast. The one superpower most humans on the planet wish they had is the ability to accurately predict the future. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to predict the Mega Millions lottery numbers? If such powers existed, one could predict the lottery numbers, win it, buy everything you've ever wanted, and just go chill somewhere in the Malibu Hills, right? Of course. However, the reality is that human beings are far from having such abilities. There are many humans in history, maybe even more now in number than ever before, who claim to have such superpowers. They exist in various forms. Some are economic experts, some are religious prophets, some psychics, some traditional seers, some healers, and even some astrologists. 
While some humans may seem to be somewhat more perceptive than others, nobody actually has the special ability to accurately predict the future. The closest we can get as humans is to use past trends and available data to make guesses or what some call projections. The thing is, though, in the end, no matter how much data we're able to collect, there are still no guarantees, especially if there are many constantly changing variables. Unknown variables outside of our control impede our ability to accurately predict future outcomes. Now, this may not apply to simple expectations like boiling water, for example, or cooking rice, or pushing a boulder off the top of a mountain. In the case of the boulder, for example, we're all in agreement about Newton's third law, which states that for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. If you push the boulder, it will roll down the side of the mountain. Variables like the steepness of the slope, gravity, the surface of the mountain, if there are trees, etc., will ultimately determine where the boulder may end up. The one thing we know for certain is that if we push it, it will move. When people make predictions or prophecies, what they're attempting to do is to tell us in advance where the boulder will end up, oftentimes even before the boulder is pushed. Unknown variables like the slope, the surface, the obstacles, and so on make this a very difficult thing to do. Essentially, we can predict outcomes of controlled experiments with known and controlled inputs. As in the case of water, we all agree that it will boil at 100 degrees Celsius. If some unknown variables are thrown into the mix, however, like adding certain chemicals to the water, it becomes more difficult to predict its boiling point. If you add alcohol to water, for instance, it could lower the boiling point. Adding something like sugar could increase its boiling point. If you don't know what is being added to the water before boiling it, all you can do really is guess. You cannot accurately tell if the boiling point will increase, decrease, or remain the same. When it comes to things like global warming, finance, politics, or sporting events, there are too many unknowns to accurately predict outcomes. The best we can do as humans is to use the available data we have to make what some call an educated guess. For example, based on available data, one may guess that one of the top NBA teams at the moment, the Golden State Warriors, should win a game against the Brooklyn Nets if they were to meet in an NBA game today. It's a good guess considering the form that the Golden State Warriors have been in the past couple of seasons. However, there are many unknown things that could potentially impact the outcome of such a game. What if the star players of the Golden State eat some bad food or get injured in the first quarter or just turn off for reasons nobody really knows? What if the Brooklyn Nets just have an amazing day on the court? Even with all the data that we have, all we can do is guess that the Golden State Warriors could win. We can never say for sure. Now, every day, experts bombard us with predictions. But how reliable are the predictions? 
Experts of various domains make predictions every single day that influence decisions that people make. From financial investment decisions, to betting, to even things like who we choose to marry, where we choose to live, how much money we donate to a religious institution, etc. Most of these predictions, if not all of them, really are guesses at best. Educated guesses are based upon some previously gathered data or information. However, the less information there is about something, the more difficult it will be to predict. Typically, there's usually more than one cognitive bias at play in any given situation. And one that is quite interesting is how humans tend to ignore the wrong guesses and only seek out the right ones. The confirmation bias, which I discussed in an earlier episode, leads most of us to ignore the wrong predictions of our favorite expert or prophet. We ignore any information that is contrary to what we're seeking. And what we're seeking is usually the thrill and the excitement of the predictions being accurate. If the prediction is totally off, however, we make excuses and we just quickly forget the results. Because of the confirmation bias, oftentimes when the guesses of our favorite predictors are wrong, we rarely ever hold them to account. They rarely lose their badges as experts, prophets, seers, or psychics, even when they're repeatedly wrong. No one ever really even bothers to check to see how often they get it right versus how many times they get it wrong. A failure to evaluate the rate of accuracy leads us to make irrational decisions. Decisions that are sometimes influenced by the predictions that they make. A Canadian-American political science writer, Philip Tetlock, evaluated 28,361 predictions from 284 self-appointed professionals over a period of 10 years. He did something uncommon which is to assess all the predictions that they made against their results. The experts were only marginally better than a random forecast generator. Ironically, the ones that were most sensationalized were among the poorest performers. And of those, the worst were the prophecies of doom. Peter Lynch, a fund manager, once said, and I quote, There are 60,000 economists in the U.S., many of them employed full-time, trying to forecast recessions and interest rates. And if they could do it successfully twice in a row, they'd all be millionaires by now. As far as I know, most of them are still gainfully employed, which ought to tell us something. End of quote. The problem here, as Peter Lynch describes, is that so-called experts enjoy free reign with few negative consequences. If they're lucky and their predictions come to pass, they enjoy publicity and validation from their followers. Many of them get consultancy offers and publication deals and become more respected. If they're completely off the mark, they typically face no penalties either in terms of financial compensation or in loss of reputation. Followers of such experts or prophets or seers are typically seeking confirmation of the predictions and rarely ever take time to evaluate the accuracy ratios. 
This is a win-win scenario for such experts, and it incentivizes them to churn out as many prophecies as they can come up with. Indeed, the more prophecies they generate, the more will be coincidentally correct. The more of the predictions are coincidentally correct, the more reputable they become in the eyes of their followers. And the more sensational the topic, the more effective it is if it does come true. If it doesn't, however, everyone just you know moves on like nothing happened and people still gather around to listen to the same person's predictions in the future. I'm going to share some interesting and quite significant predictions that were made by seemingly reputable experts and prophets. Predictions that didn't come to pass, yet didn't raise much skepticism about the abilities of the predictors. In 1986, Moses David of the Children of God Faith Group predicted that the Battle of Armageddon would take place in 1986. In his prediction, Russia would defeat Israel and the United States, a worldwide communist dictatorship would be established, and he also predicted that Christ would return to the earth in 1993. Listen to South African-based Nigerian pastor Samuel Akimbodunshe's prophecy in 2018 regarding the recently concluded 2019 Nigerian presidential election. We'll be back after a quick break. We'll be right back. Please, Nigerians, warn Buhari that is going beyond his boundary. That the Lord said his tenor is once, not twice. If not, he will not see the election. No. Tell him. If you know him, and you know how to email the presidency of Nigeria, please write him a test. If he made a mistake to campaign for election, before they vote, he will die. And I'm saying the truth. And I'm saying the truth. I'm saying the truth. Buhari did run for the election against what God supposedly told Pastor Akimbodunche. Not only is he alive, he won it for a second term. In 1983, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, the guru of the Rajneesh movement, predicted massive destruction on earth, including natural disasters and man-made catastrophes. Floods larger than any since Noah, extreme earthquakes, very destructive volcanic eruptions, nuclear wars, and so on. He actually went as far as to suggest that Tokyo, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Bombay will all disappear. Didn't happen. Former National Association of Realtors Chief Economist David Luria published a book called, and I quote, why the real estate boom will not bust and how you can profit from it, end of quote. His book was published early 2006. I can tell you for a fact that that didn't age very well. In 1998, Centro, a very active religious organization, largely centered in the Philippines, predicted that the world would come to an end in 1998. 
Same year, about 150 followers of a Taiwanese Christian Buddhist spiritual sect moved into Garland, Texas to await God's arrival. Their leader, Ho Ming Chen, predicted that on March the 25th, God was expected to broadcast a commercial on Channel 18 in Garland. He would then be reincarnated into man on March the 31st at 10 a.m. local time. The group planned to commit mass suicide if God didn't appear. The same group believed that a nuclear war would destroy parts of the earth in 1999. They identified a nine-year-old boy at the time as the, and I quote, Jesus of the East, end of quote. A reincarnation of Jesus Christ. They believed that if they could link him up with the, and I quote, Jesus of the West, end of quote, then 100 million lives will be spared. The second Jesus was supposed to live in Vancouver, B.C., and he was supposed to look like Abraham Lincoln, and he was supposed to have been born 1969 or 1970s or something. Never happened. On November 6, 2016, an influential Nigerian televangelist, T.B. Joshua, said, and I quote, Ten days ago, I saw the president of America with a narrow wind. What I frankly saw was a woman, end of quote. He predicted a win for Hillary Clinton against Donald Trump. In 2009, a long list of experts, including more than 95% of the economists, Wall Street bankers, and banking regulators, failed to see a worldwide financial crisis brewing and continued to make all sorts of favorable predictions until the crash. The folks that made these predictions and thousands more like them are authorities in their various domains and leaders of their various institutions. They're the ones people look up to for forecasts to improve decisions that significantly impact their lives. Tens to hundreds of millions of people plan their lives around the prophecies, predictions, and advice provided by many of these experts, religious prophets, and astrologists. If they're all just guessing their way through it all, why do they still continue to forecast, and why do people still read or even believe their forecasts? And for that reason, I'm super cautious about forecasts, predictions, prophecies, any claims by humans that suggest an ability to see into the future. I personally believe that much of the so-called successful predictions are simply luck. It's less about being clairvoyant and really more about being lucky enough to guess right. Here's a simple scenario that may help put it in perspective. Say we get a thousand people to vote on a particular stock. And all they have to do is predict if it will either rise or fall within a specific duration. Naturally, some of them will choose rise and others will choose fall. If the stock rises within the specified duration, those who chose that the stock would rise are the winners. If we eliminate the losers and run the same vote with a different stock and repeat the exercise continuously, eliminating those whose predictions fail, we'll end up with a few who always manage to get it right every time. 
That, ladies and gentlemen, is how we choose the people we consider to be experts in most domains. That is how famous economists emerge. This is exactly how people rise through religious ranks and how seers and psychics become famous. Now, here's what's wrong with that system. If we replace our thousand people with preschoolers and replace rise and fall with colored cubes and have the kids choose, guess what? In the end, some lucky kids would have guessed right every single time and avoided elimination. Does that mean that they're genius economists or prophets or psychics? Could they be the chosen ones? I don't know about you, but I don't think so. So, you know, we have to ask ourselves, what is predictable and what is not? Some things are fairly simple enough to be predictable, like my early example of the boiling point of water. The more complex a system is, or the longer the time frame, the more blurred the view of the future will be. So things like global warming, oil prices, exchange rates, these things are almost impossible to foresee. So I implore you not to fall for the forecast illusion. Be critical when you encounter predictions. It is very easy to get carried away. Very easy to be consumed by the need for your favorite predictor or forecaster to be correct. Whenever I hear a forecast or a prediction or a prophecy or really any statements for that matter that are made by a fellow human being about events that have yet to occur, I make sure to ask myself two important questions. Number one, what incentive does this forecaster or prophet or expert have? The second question I ask myself is, how good is his or her success rate? Regarding the first question, if he's an employee, could he lose his job if he's wrong? Or is he a self-appointed guru who earns a living through selling books or giving lectures or doing masterclasses? Or is he a religious leader who seeks to expand his ministry by showcasing his connection to God? Or a seer who is ultimately seeking more paying clients? Or a psychic who's looking to exploit believers of spiritual influence? You have to ask yourself, what incentive does this person have? And for the second question, I want to know how many predictions has he or she made over the past five years and out of such predictions, how many have been right and how many have been wrong? This information is vital, yet nobody seems to care enough to report it. Track record is very important for anyone who makes predictions and it should be provided to their audience, in my opinion. That way, people know exactly what they're getting themselves into before taking a plunge. Empirical data reveals a lot. It can save you lots of pain, suffering, and just all of the things that are induced by poor decisions that you make because someone made a faulty prediction or just guessed through a forecast. 
Maybe if we could all finally recognize that these folks are just guessing their way through it all, we would all begin to treat predictions with the necessary skepticism. In conclusion, we all suffer from this cognitive bias. Some negative effects are more costly than others, but attempts at reducing the unhappiness we experience due to the negative consequences of bad judgment and poor decisions makes it worth the effort. I'll discuss other biases in future episodes. I hope this was valuable. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nigerian American. Please feel free to subscribe, leave comments, and continue to share this podcast. You may also reach us by our email, NigerianAmericanPodcast at gmail.com. My name is LD. Thank you.